Hey, everybody. Welcome to Soma Church, right? Welcome. So good to see each and every one of you. Um, all the beautiful faces out here. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Marvin. As Tony said, I'm one of the elders here. And it's always a privilege. It's always an honor for me to be able to share God's word. Can I tell you this as a little bit of backstory? About five or six weeks ago is when I was asked to preach for this weekend. Um, I actually, I don't work for the church, but I office out of the church. And I was on a, a, a run over my lunch break. And I was ending the run. And I was right over here at the edge of our parking lot in the Mewborn Oil parking lot. And I was walking right by the two dumpsters, okay? And I was finishing my run. And this verse just hit me in my spirit. It was just out of left field. Have you guys ever had that moment where just a verse hits you and you're like, man, what, what is this? And as soon as it hit me, I knew that that verse was for today. Well, last night too, but it was for today. And, uh, you know, for, so for the past five or six weeks, God has been working um, on the messenger, the message through the messenger, right? And so it's been a fun time of preparation. But I just want you to know, man, this is, this is from the Lord without a doubt. But I want to get to start off right this morning, and I want to give us an encouraging report, okay? How many of you guys like encouraging reports, right? We all like encouraging reports. Well, when I was last preaching here on stage was the first week of June, and that was Pentecost weekend. And um, Pentecost weekend, I let you guys on a little bit of uh, family insider information, okay, about my family, but specifically about my three-year-old Lydia, okay, my beautiful Lydia Nicole, sweet girl. And not just Lydia, but about her infatuation with potted succulent plants. Anybody remember that about her infatuation with pot? Okay, I'm in the right room. If you weren't here, okay, my beautiful little three-year-old, she loves our potted succulent plants that are in our living room, but, you know, I love them. My wife really loves them. What she really likes to do is reach her pretty little hand up there, pull out the succulent, and then shred that plant, okay? And we don't like that happening, right? Like, you wouldn't like that happening, but I'm here giving you an encouraging report this morning, okay? This is the encouraging report. Since I preached that weekend, she has not touched a potted succulent plant. Can I get a round of applause? Thank you. God is still on the throne. God still moves. The Holy Spirit's moving. And listen, listen, myself and my wife and all of our potted succulent plants, we bow before you and say thank you to all of the prayer warriors. We know it wasn't us. It was you who prayed for Lydia. You know, and I feel like, I was thinking about this last night, I feel like we should have an altar call for people who have toddlers, you know, <laughs> so we could pray because I know about crayons and white couches. I won't say if Lydia did that or not. I know about Sharpies on white walls, or, you know, I mean, we all need prayer for that. Amen. So, hey, we started off right. Encouraging report. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. We'll be going through verse 8, and we'll be in this passage of Scripture throughout the entirety of this message. As you're turning there, I would like to give you the sermon in a sentence and the title of this morning's message, okay? The sermon in a sentence is this. Do not let fear paralyze your gifting and your calling. Do not let fear paralyze your gifting and your calling. And the title of this message is this, 
fulfillment over fear. Fulfillment over fear. So we're going to pick up in 2 Timothy verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Verse 5, for I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your grandmother Louise and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of my hands. And in verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And I have, I've circled there spirit of timidity, okay? And I'm reading out of the NAS, but I'm aware that some of your translations use the word fear there, um, where the NAS uses timidity. Um, and I want to hang out here and just provide a little bit of definition, okay, to this word, because it's going to be a central word as we move forward with this message. That word timidity, okay, or timid, is actually the Greek word delia, okay, delia, which means fear, it means timidity or cowardice, fear, timidity, or cowardice. But for this message, I think there is great definition that is brought to us when we look up timid or timid, uh, timidity in Webster's Dictionary. And it gives us some great definition of how Paul is talking to Timothy here. So when you look up timid or timidity, uh, timidity in the Webster's, it says this, lacking in courage or self-confidence. Lacking in boldness or determination. So timid, lacking in courage or self-confidence, lacking in boldness or determination. These are super important definitions to keep in mind as we keep moving forward this morning. And what I want to continue to do here is create and establish a little bit more of the context and the, the backdrop, kind of the scene and setting, okay, of this writing in 2 Timothy from Paul to Timothy, um, you need to know these were the last recorded words of Paul, okay, last recorded words of Paul. Tradition tells us that not long after the second letter of Timothy, Paul was beheaded just outside of the city of Rome. The letters of Timothy are referred to as the prison epistles, as obviously Paul wrote them from prison. The letters are believed to be written about five years or so apart from each other, first and second Timothy. When the first uh, letter was written, Paul was in a house arrest prison, okay, where he still had some freedoms. But the second letter comes most likely from a dungeon-type prison in the city of Rome. And you'll see on the screens here, um, you'll see this is um, what they call Mamertine or Mamertine dungeon, where many scholars, theologians believe that, that Paul was kept. This is the inside of the dungeon. The only light was from a little porthole at the top there, I think you can see. So this is from the inside of it. And then if you go to the next slide, you can see the outside of the building right there. It's the center building. So this is the Mamertine or Mamertine dungeon people believe that Paul was housed in, okay? So the difference, and this is what we need to know here as we're talking about the back, backdrop of this writing to Timothy, is the difference in prison reflects the difference and change in the Roman Empire, okay? 
reflects the difference in change in the Roman Empire. Emperor Nero, he is now in power at this time, and he basically blames Christians for all things wrong with the Roman Empire, okay? So I'm going to pick up reading here uh, a little bit of Ray Stedman, great, great scholar and theologian, what he says about this time. The Emperor Nero had tried to blame the Christians for the great fire that destroyed the city of Rome in 64 AD, and opposition had broken out against Christians all throughout the empire, okay? For the first time, they began to be subjected to bitter persecution. Christians were burned as living torches to light the emperor's social gatherings. They were thrown to lions. They were killed by gladiators. I know some of you have have heard that before. This is during Emperor Nero's um, rule and reign. They were widely despised throughout the empire as being cannibals because they talked about eating the body and blood of Christ. They were thought to be atheists because they did not worship the idols that the pagans worshipped. They were said to be revolutionaries, okay, because they denied the ultimate authority of Caesar and said that Jesus was Lord. So opposition against Christians had sharpened across the empire. So what we have here in this backdrop the setting, the scene of Paul writing to Timothy and 2 Timothy are seriously exciting and miraculous times for Christians. The gospel is spreading like wildfire throughout the Roman Empire, but it's also in the face of some tremendously brutal persecution. It's the type of setting, okay? Listen in here. It's the type of setting that could easily make a person lean into fear, lean into fear and become more of a watcher of the faith than a doer of the faith. More of a watcher of the faith than doer of the faith. Someone who resigns themselves to sitting on the sidelines. Someone who has let fear paralyze their faith so that their gifts and callings don't come forth. Someone who sides with fear and timidity over fulfillment. So let's pick back up in verse 5 there in 2 Timothy 1, where it says, For I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you. Paul's telling Tim- Timothy, I'm, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelled in your mom, in your grandma and your mom, and I'm sure that is in you as well. A couple of cool things to note just from this scripture. It's quite possible that Timothy was a third-generation believer, which is super amazing for that time. He was a third-generation believer. Scholars debate regarding if his grandma and his mom were simply devout Jews or if they um, were truly converted Christians. Either way, they were devout in their faith, and they passed down that same devotion. I think it's cool, and it's a powerful thought because I know we, we want that for our kids and our grandkids. Amen? We want that same devotion to be passed down. And at that time, man, that was an amazing testimony of their faith. Second thing to point out here is Paul admonishes Timothy's faith, and then Paul enters into a bit of a pep talk and exhortation to Timothy. But it's very important, okay? It's very important to note the pep talk that Paul is giving Timothy is not about his faith. It's not about his faith. Timothy is devout in his faith. He's committed to his faith. There is no question that Timothy's loyalty is to Jesus in the way of Christ. And it reminds me as I think about that, about so many of you in this room who have been devoted to Christ for so long. So many of you have 
have kept the faith through some seriously hard and dark times. I mean seriously hard and dark, dark times. You've kept your faith through difficult, stressful relationship. You've kept your faith through tremendous loss and grief. And I stand here before you this morning, and I applaud you, so many of you who have kept your faith with such great devotion. But this is what we know this morning. He is worthy of that devotion. Amen? He is worthy of that devotion. It reminds me of, of Peter in John 6, where Jesus is talking to Peter and the disciples, and he's asking them, he said, hey, are you 12 going to leave me like some of these newly converted disciples are leaving me right now? Are you 12 going to leave me as well? And of course, Peter's the, the first one to speak up, and he says this, master, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to go to? And he says this, you have the words of eternal life. You've got the words of eternal life. He says, we have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to serve? You, God, have the words to eternal life. But now we come to this place, as Paul's talking to Timothy, where he begins to exhort and admonish Timothy, not about his faith, okay, not about his faith, but about Timothy's giftings and the plan and the calling that is on his life. And we pick up in verse six there, it says this, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. Okay, kindle afresh the gift of God. I wanna break this down just a little bit. The word gift there, okay, the word gift is actually the Greek word charisma. Charisma, which means favor. Okay, kindle afresh the favor, the charisma of God. And charisma means favor with which one receives without any merit of his own. Isn't that good? The charisma of God. It also means divine grace. So Timothy has this divine favor and divine grace on his life to operate in the gifts to fulfill the purposes and plans that God has for him. And the reality is, is this text, this is Paul talking to Timothy, but this is the reality for all of us. God has given every person in faith in Christ a charisma, the charisma, a divine favor and grace to operate in your gifts and your calling and in your plans and your purpose in your life. It's a major point of us all walking in our fulfillment, which leads me to my first point this morning, which is this. Each of us have gifts that the body of Christ needs. Each of us have gifts that the body of Christ Christ needs. Now, we understand in this room that the great gift is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right, who, who lived the perfect life. It's the life and works of Jesus Christ. This is the perfect gift. Amen? And we've received that. Our faith is established. And then in John 14, Christ says, I'm going to go, okay, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to send you a helper, which is like the next gift. And God sends us the Holy Spirit, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own. For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. I know many of us know these things, and we understand that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, that we are the temple. But I think sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit is working in a multitude, a myriad of ways in our life to fulfill 
God's purpose and plans for our life. Amen? Holy Spirit works in a number of different ways. He, he works to convict us of sin. The Holy Spirit works to counsel us to make good decisions. He works to comfort us in times of struggle, in times of grief. The Holy Spirit works to empower us to produce the fruit of the Spirit that we read about in Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit works in and through us the gifts of the Spirit that we find in 1 Corinthians 12. And what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes here, just reference 1 Corinthians 12. I want to read a little bit of a lengthy passage, but I think it's important for us because it's really going to lay some of the foundation as we keep moving forward here. But I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm going to read actually 1 through 20. You can feel free to turn there if you want. If you, if you don't, just listen up and take in uh, what the Lord is saying here in 1 Corinthians 12. It says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be unaware. I want you to be aware concerning spiritual gifts. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but it's the same God who works all things in all persons. Verse 7, but to each one of you is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Can we all say common good? Amen. For the common good. For to one is given a word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all of these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 13, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greek, whether slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit. Verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would your hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? In verse 18, but now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now they are many members, but one body. Amen. This is what he's saying here. Collectively, Soma Church, okay, the local expression of the body of Christ. Soma Church, the local expression of the body of Christ. We, okay, we are at our best when you and I are at our best. Amen? We are at our best when you and I are at our best, and that is working with the Holy Spirit in the fulfillment of the gifts that he's given you and the calling and purpose on your life. That's what that passage is, is about. We are at our best when you and I are at our best. And that is the surrendering to the Holy Spirit that we're bringing forth the giftings and calling and purpose that is on our life. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. We all need the Jesus. We all need the story. 
We all need the testimony. We all need the wisdom. We all need the grace. We all need the servanthood. We all need the care, the love, the strength, the song, the prayer that are inside of each other. Amen? We all need those things. Each of us has gifts that the body of Christ needs to function as it was designed and planned to function. I don't know if you've looked around, but this church, Soma Church, as a local expression of the body of Christ, is growing. It's growing rapidly. I don't know if you pay attention in uh, where you live, the town you live in, or maybe it's Tyler here, but where you live, it has a lot of needs around you. There are needs to be met everywhere. I don't know if you've been living under a rock or you're aware of this, but this world's getting darker, right? This world is getting darker. What am I saying? There is so much opportunity all around us for us to serve. There's so much opportunity all around us for us to work in the gifts. And I'm not just talking about the nine gifts of the Spirit here in 1 Corinthians 12. There's so many other gifts that God gives each one of us to operate in so that we as the body of Christ can be at our best. Amen? I think about so many different situations and uh, giftings that God gives each and one of you. I think about people who have the gift of care and hospitality. How many of you guys know people who have that gift of hospitality and care? Yeah, raise your hand. And it's such a great gift. We have some of those people who are on Soma's hospitality team. And I want you to just take a minute with me just to walk through a scenario, okay? Because remember, we're talking about being our best so that the body of Christ can be its best. Let's walk through a quick scenario here. So let's say this person, they've got the gift of care and hospitality. They're on our hospitality team here at Soma Church, okay? And man, they've got this warm smile. Uh, they've got the right words to say. But when you meet them, you just feel at home. We know these type of people, right? You just feel at home. You feel good. You feel secure. And so you're a new family walking in or an individual who comes into the church. And it's like, man, I feel so good. This feels right. I feel so cared for already. And then you come in and you enjoy the service. After you enjoy the service, weeks later, you go through physiology, our membership classes. Then you get plugged into this church and you become an active serving member. Where did it start? Where did it start? It started with the person who has the gift of hospitality and care that met you, that made you feel at home, that made you feel wanted, that made you feel in a place where it's like, man, I belong here. It's a simple illustration of how someone who has a gift of hospitality and care can work for the body of Christ. Amen? There's some of you in this room who have beautiful singing voices or or ability to play an instrument, and it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. And when you sing and when you play your instrument, because God has anointed you to do it, and, and when we're praying and giving our worship to the Lord, it releases thing inside of people. When you're singing that song and God's gifted you to sing it, you don't know what it's doing in people out here and how it's ministering to them. Folks, it's real. God's gifts are real. His anointing is real. And this is what Paul is telling Timothy. It's real, man. This is real, okay? And there's so many other examples. There is your story and your testimony. Some of you have the gift of speaking. And, but specifically, there's an anointing on your story and your testimony. And I can tell you this. There could be some, a youth, a teenager, or someone in 1828 who, if, you, if they hear your story, 
it could put them on the straight and narrow for the rest of their life just from you sharing your story. And those are just a few examples. Some of you, God has given you giftings and callings to be elders in this house, to be stewards in this house, to be life group leaders. And the list goes on and on and on. And these are just the opportunities for SOMA. And this is a small amount of the opportunities. But this is what we know. This is what we know. The body of Christ is at its best when you and I, we are at our best. And that's operating, surrender to the Holy Spirit and letting our giftings and our calling come forth. Amen? Amen. Each of us has gifts that the body of Christ needs. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. We have to get off the sidelines. We've got to get into the game, right? And some of us are in the game, okay? Some of us are in the game and we're doing this, but we've got to get into the game in a better way, okay? I was an athlete all my life. 13 years of of playing high-level sports, okay? And I know that I can be in the game and not be playing good in the game. I can have a wrong attitude in the game. I can not be performing well. Anybody ever been there, right? You know that even though you're in the game. We can't afford to be on the sidelines, and we can't afford to be in the game and not really be in the game and really committed. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so many times we keep ourselves on the sidelines because we just keep disqualifying ourselves. We keep disqualifying ourselves for this, that, and the other reasons. You know them. There can be a myriad of reasons why we disqualify ourselves. And I stand up here before you, and I'm thinking, is the gospel of Christ not the greatest qualifier that there is on this earth? It's literally what it does. The gospel qualifies you. It's not your own talents. It's not your own works. It's not your own giftings. It is the gospel that qualifies you. Your faith is established, so many of you. The gospel has qualified you to be a thriving, active member of the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. We have to stop disqualifying ourselves. You have been qualified by the life and work of Jesus Christ. Let's get off the sidelines. Let's get into the game. Let's let the body of Christ be at its best. Why? Because souls are at stake. Souls are at stake around us. The world is growing darker. There's so many needs. We don't have time as the body of Christ to not be able to reach out and fulfill the opportunity that's around us. Amen. Each of us has gifts the body of Christ needs. The second thing is this. You have to stoke the fire. You've got to stoke the fire. Verse 6 in 2 Timothy 1 there says this, For this reason I remind you, remind you to kindle afresh. Kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now the Greek word there for kindle is this crazy absurd long word. I'm not even going to try to say it. Okay? But it means, and some of your translations say this actually, to stir up or flan, fan into flame. Okay? So kindle afresh. Stir up, fan into flame. This is, this is what Paul is telling Timothy here, okay? And I want to take a second and just, can I give you the Marvin translation? Is that okay? Of what Paul is telling Timothy? This is what he's telling him here. Timothy, you have a fire, man. Pour some fuel on the fire and let's get going, baby. Let's get going. You have a fire. Pour some fuel on it and let's get going. Timothy, let's get going. I love Dave Gusick and his commentary. 
Listen to this. First and second Timothy, Paul's writing to Timothy. There's no less than 25, okay? Everybody say 25. 25 different places where Paul encouraged Timothy to be bold, to not shy away from confrontation, to stand up where he needs to stand up and to be strong. Can you say strong with me? Strong. So we're talking about stoking the fire here, fan the flame, stirring it up. What does that, what does that look like? Okay, how do we, um, how is that done? Well, I just want to tell you one thing before we get to that, okay, about, and I think this is important that we need to know about a campfire, okay? When a fire is left to itself, eventually it's going to burn out. When a fire is left to itself, eventually it will burn out. Remember Paul's telling Timothy here, got to fan a flame, got to stoke that, got to get this fire going. This is what we know about fires, okay? There's three different elements to a fire. You can put that graphic on the screen there. Okay, there's fuel, oxygen, and heat. It's pretty simple, okay? This is the, the imagery that Paul was working with to Timothy. There's fuel, oxygen, and heat. We know fuel, twigs, paper, branches, logs, those type of things. Oxygen, we know what oxygen is. Praise God, it's free and always available. Amen. Um, heat, typically in our generation, heat is provided by the strike of a match, okay? And so we have fuel, oxygen, and heat. So as we parallel this into our faith, okay, and what Paul is telling Timothy here, we have the heat. The heat is our faith. The fire has been lit, amen? How many of you guys are born-again believers in this room? Raise your hand. Your fire has been lit. You have got that element going. We have the oxygen. The oxygen is the Holy Spirit. It is always there, ready to work with us and on our behalf. He's always ready, living inside of us, that we are his temple. Okay, what we need is the fuel to keep the fire burning hot. Can I give you three of the greatest fuels that you can put on your fire to keep it burning bright and hot? Okay, here they are. Oh, the word of God, a friend in God, and a community in God. If you want your fire to burn as bright as it can burn, you're going to need the word of God, a friend in God, and a community in God. The word of God, truth over lies every time, right? Let me tell you this. You have no shot at being on fire for God if you are not reading and submitting to his word. It's just the way he set it up. You have no shot. There is no way. There is no way. I know you have faith, but if you want to burn bright for God and accomplish everything he has for you on this earth, you, it has to be done through the reading and submitting of his word it is the first and primary way. And let me say this. I said it last night. We can't just pass by this flippantly. It is foundational. And you're thinking, I know this. And I do know this. And you do know this. But it is so foundational. It is such a pillar. If that pillar is not there, if it is not there, your house is on shaky ground. It's on shaky ground. Man, the word of God every single day. Listen to, take it in however we can, and then a very key component, submitted to. Surrendered to. Coming under the word of God. Amen, folks? It has, your, your fire will only burn as bright as where you're going in the word of God. It's the truth. It's the way God set this all up. The second is a friend in God. Accountability. 
a friend in God, iron sharpening iron, right? We, we all know this, okay? It's, it's purity and perspective that comes from that over privacy and tunnel vision. Man, that's what I want. That's what I want. I want purity. I want perspective over privacy and tunnel vision. If you don't have accountability in your life, if you don't have a friend in God where you're going to those places of hard conversations, okay, your fire is on the verge of going out. It's just the truth. It's the way God set this up. It's the way he set up community. It's the way he set up for us to work and rub shoulders and iron sharpen iron. It's the reality of it, a friend in God. I'm here standing on this platform right now, and I'm telling you, I have two guys. Nick Lesmeister, he's an overseeing elder of this church. He lives in DFW. Nathan Spires, he's back here. A lot of times you see him singing on stage here. I've known these guys for 20 plus years. We go there consistently in conversation. And I'm just talking about going there about the Cowboys and the Longhorns and sports. We do that too, okay? But we go there where rubber meets the road conversation. We're talking about, man, how are you as a husband right now? What is going on? What about a father with your kids? What about purity in your life? What about how you're stewarding different aspects of your life? I'm here to tell you, I'm not blowing smoke, okay? It's been in place in my life since I was a believer at 19 years old. And if you want your fire to burn hot, you have got to find a friend in God, okay? And I challenge you. Some of you, maybe that is uh, who you're married to, your wife or your husband. But I would say even go beyond that. Okay, if you're a guy, get another guy somewhere who you respect, okay? And, um, and if you're a female, get a female. This is such a key for our fire to burn hot as a friend in God. It has worked, and I just tell you as a testimony standing up here, it has worked miracles in my life when I can just go and be who I am to a friend in God. Confess, repent, and move forward in him. Amen. It is so good. And the last thing is this, a community in God. It's God's prescribed plan, a community in God, a place to be fed, a place to serve and give, a place to grow. The church is God's biblically prescribed habitat for the believer to grow in. It just is. I didn't make it up. It's what he says in his scripture. It's where we're placed to grow. I can tell you this, folks. I can tell you this unequivocally. I grow just by showing up to this building every weekend. I grow. I put fuel on my fire. My fire burns hotter when I leave this place just by showing up here. Tony and I say it all the time. 90% of, of life is just showing up. Just show up. Just show up and be here and see what happens. I'm telling you this. If you come to church with a surrendered heart and an openness to serve, and listen to this, not just coming to church, because we can all come to church, you all did this morning, but you come to church with a surrendered heart and an openness to serve, and you watch what God does with the fire that's burning inside of you. I'm telling you, I'm proof right here. I'm a testimony right on this stage. There is nothing special about us standing on this stage. We just try to do these things to the best of our ability. You come to church with a surrendered heart, an openness to serve, and God will take you to places you would not believe. Can I get an amen? amen? It's the truth, guys. It is the truth. We have to stoke the fire, fan the flame. The third thing is this, and last, you were not made to operate in fear. You were not made to operate in fear. Verse 7, 
tells us there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, fear, but of power and love and discipline, sound mind, sound reasoning. This verse is many of you are familiar with, obviously, and we use this verse in different contexts when talking about fear, and that's understandable, but One of the main things I want you to understand and take away from this verse actually comes in the first five words, okay? God has not given us. God has not given us a spirit of fear. In fact, the last time I checked, if you are a believer in this room, not only did I give you a spirit of fear, he gave you the Holy Spirit, right? Which lives inside of you. The first five words, God has not given us a spirit of fear. In other words, in other words, if you're operating in a spirit of fear, the spirit is not of the Lord. That spirit's not of the Lord. John 14, 1 said, fear not. John 14, 27 said, let not your heart be troubled. I love Dave Gusick in his commentary. He said this, he said, the first step in dealing with such fears is to understand they're not from God. They're not from God. It's a significant step. Everybody hone in here and listen. We're winding down. It's a significant step to say, this isn't God making me feel like this. This isn't God making me feel like this. Perhaps it's from personality. Perhaps a weakness of the flesh. Perhaps it's even a demonic attack. But it is not from God. Amen? It is not from God. Sometimes I wonder if we've become so familiar with operating within a spirit of fear and timidity, lacking that boldness and confidence, that strength, that we don't even recognize that that's what we're operating in the majority of the time. You guys know what I'm saying? It has so invaded our lives. It has so taken control. We don't even recognize it anymore. It has become normal. It's become a way of life. But folks... He says it here. Paul says it in verse 7. God did not give that to you. God did not give you a spirit of fear, but he did give you something. Power, love, and sound mind, sound reasoning, sound judgment. Amen? This is what I want to do as we're coming to a close here. I just want to ask five questions. We'll take a little bit of inventory, do a little bit of self-study. Again, Paul is talking to Timothy here about this spirit of fear spirit of timidity that could keep Timothy from his purpose and plans, his giftings and his callings. That's why he's calling it out. That's why he's giving him this pep talk. And I just want to do a little bit of self-study, okay, and present these five questions. And I want you to think about, man, what spirit is behind how I answer these? Is this the Holy Spirit in the way I think about this question? Or is the spirit of fear is what's gripping here? The first one is this. Do you battle feeling unloved by God? Do you battle feeling unloved by God? If you do, why? Why do you battle feeling unloved by God? This can happen to any of us, but many times this feeling is seated in fearfulness or unwillingness to trust his plans and his goodness. So I ask you, if you are someone who's feeling that, which can be very legitimate, are you operating in a spirit of fear or is the Holy Spirit in that? Do you battle feeling in love by God? If you do, why? Why? 
It's a worthy thing to assess and think about. The second is this. Do you find it difficult engaging in relationships? Do you find it difficult engaging in relationships? If you do, why? What is behind that? What's underneath the hood there? Many times we find it difficult engaging in relationships out of fear of hurt or rejection or some other type of fear. The third question is this. Is it hard for you to make decisions? Is it hard for you to make decisions? Why? Why is it hard for you to make decisions? Oftentimes we only stare down the barrel of the results of a wrong choice and it paralyzes us. And we don't think about all of the opportunity and possibility that a right choice could bring in any situation because we're so fearful of being wrong. Whatever the situation is presented, is it hard for you to make decisions? Why? Number four is this. Do you compromise? And I realize we're all guilty of compromising. But in your compromising, why do you find yourself compromising? Do you compromise your standards and your morals out of a spirit of fear? Fear of confrontation, fear of rejection, fear of hurt. What is behind that? When you find yourself compromising, what is behind that? What is the spirit behind that? Spirit of fear and timidity. And the fifth and last question is this. Do you avoid serving and using your gifts and talents at church? Do you avoid serving and using your gifts and talents at church? And if you do, why? What's behind it? Oftentimes, people avoid getting fully plugged into a church out of a spirit of fear and being timid. Fear of what happened at past churches. Fear of what happened with past church leadership. Fear of not being accepted. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. And the list goes on and on. We are well acclimated with fear, right? And the spirit that is behind it. Some of us have become so timid and gripped with fear that it has become hard for us to function. It's a truth. It's reality. And let me tell you, I'll be the first to raise my hand. There have been many situations in different seasons where it's like, man, I am being paralyzed in this moment. It is so hard for me to make a decision right now because I feel and I sense and I know the fear that is coming on me. I know that firsthand because I'm a dad, right? And I think about being a dad of, of, of my, my three kids and the fear that can so grip me. Some of you don't have fear in parenting, and that's awesome. But I'm telling you on the stage just confessing before you. I have great fear at times when I'm having to make decisions about my children. And I recognize it because I become paralyzed. I don't know what to do. And in those times, I have to go to the Lord because it feels like I'm literally in an out-of-body experience. Anybody ever been there in any situation? Yes. Some of us are so timid, gripped with fear. We've given up on our gifts. So timid, gripped with fear. We've given up on our calling. And maybe even some of us were at a place where we're so strapped with fear, so timid that we've given up or thought about giving up on our faith. This is what I felt as the Lord has led me to this time in preparation and even in preaching, is that God has provided for us this morning a moment and an opportunity in time to do a holy exchange a holy exchange. Paul told Timothy, God did not give us that spirit of fear, but he did give us something. 
I feel like right now, and if you would stand up with me, let's stand up all across here. I feel like right now that God, Canon, you can come up, that God is saying, and I felt this weeks before, that he's wanting to do a holy exchange. We have this, we give it to him, and he gives us something in return. Folks, everyone look at me, please. We have so much opportunity before us. There is so much of God's plan and purposes yet to be fulfilled in our lives. You have so many rich gifts and talents that are inside of you. Each one of us, he created uniquely, and he is for each one of us. And he's, he's telling us and he's providing the opportunity this morning to say, don't let it waste away on a spirit of fear and timidity. Walk in to everything that God has for you.